Today, you'll meet a Syrian drug-dealing pilot. I'm not pulling your leg, seriously. And he lives right here in South Australia's Clare Valley. Welcome to Voice It, a podcast showcasing people in the Clare Valley in the mid-north of South Australia who've started their own businesses from scratch and have turned them into success stories. This is a chance for them to tell you their story. I'm your host, Annabelle Homer. So, as I mentioned earlier, he's of Syrian descent, he flies a plane, and he sells drugs. But the legal kind. Richard L. Koury has been a pharmacist in the Clare Valley for 21 years. When he's not running his pharmacies in the mid-north, he's in his Cessna 182 flying across parts of regional South Australia visiting patients. In this episode, Richard talks about the difficulties of running a pharmacy in the regions because it's really hard to get and retain staff, and not just in pharmacy but across the board in the health industry. He has devoted the last two decades of his life to giving regional people or trying to give regional people the same health care as those in the cities, but it hasn't been easy. He also talks about the children's charity, The Variety Bash, where he gets to fly his plane and drive his pink ice cream truck. But before we get underway, I just wanted to mention that I've been pronouncing Richard's last name as Elkery for years, but it's actually not correct. There's a story in that. Mum and Dad, when they immigrated back in 1972 from Syria, they, because Dad had two brothers here from the 1950s, so when they were at the airport, they were trying to say their name, and in so Syria, it's actually Kuri. But when I think Dad was trying to pronounce it, he says El Khuri in Arabic, so which is the Kuri. So they didn't understand him and put, thought it was El, so which was quite unique because we were the only El Kuris in the phone book for many decades. Kuris um, are like Smith in Australia, but in Syria it's like Kuri. So you know, trying to find us in the phone book back in the day was quite easy. <laughs> As you heard, his family emigrated from Syria in 1972 and Richard was born four years later. He never ventured far from the city, apart from trips to Port Piri to see his uncles, because his parents worked seven days a week at delicatessens. Was Richard going to follow in his family's footsteps? I think he had other ideas. This is Richard's story. Back in the late 90s when Top Gun came out. That was my um, dream is to then become a uh, Air Force pilot. That was my career goals. So I went to all the um, careers counselling uh, sessions where the ADF were located, got all the information and what I need to do to join the uh, uh, ADFA or Air Force. Proceeded to get my private pilot's licence. So I was offered a... Um, the age of 16, I could either get a XE Falcon as your first car or you could learn to fly. So I decided, well, I'll catch a bus and learn, learn to fly. So At I, 16? Yeah, so back then you could actually get your pilot's licence within three months. When you finished, well, after three months and you had your licence, yep, so were you ready to hit the Air Force? Yep, I was, so I just finished year 11, so heading into year 12. So I went to Sagra Heart 
down out to Brighton and I just wanted to join the Air Force. So I had no intention of uh, applying myself in Year 12. So back when it was out of um, the SACE system, was out of 70 back then. So scraped through with a 55 and got into, I think, electronic engineering just to put something on paper. But I said, no, I'm going to um, the Air Force. So this was just to appease family. Uh, but being in a ethnic type family, the you know it was like, nope, you're not going to the Air Force, you are going to university. So I've gone, stuff that then, I'm not doing engineering. So I said, right, I'll go back and do Year 12 again. So I repeated and applied myself this time. So I, and I thought, well, I might as well try for medicine or physio or dentistry. Just go really high. Yeah. You know, so reach for the stars. <laughs> so I thought, went back and then um, I had the best incentive was one of the uh, homeroom teachers said, oh, you're wasting your time coming back and repeating year 12. You'll never improve. So that was my carrot that spurred me through year 13. And then um, I think I missed out medicine by a mark and a half and dentistry by half a mark. So I've gone, well... What should I do? And I've got no idea. So then my auntie, I think she randomly said, I'll oh, just do pharmacy. And I've gone, what's that? No idea what it is. So I just put it down and got into pharmacy. So how did you know you were even going to like it? You didn't even know exactly. what it was. Exactly. <laughs> got into pharmacy and that was uh, back in, uh, first year was 1995. And did you ever think you'd still be doing it now? No. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started doing it, did you actually like it? Yeah, well, because it, it was all uh, chemistry and physics based. I mean, not, I did like chemistry, but was pretty much uh, bored of chemistry at school. So I was pretty much kicked out of the lessons most of time, most days and scored well. But I mean, I just liked the you know the, the side of chemistry and um, physics. That was my, my two favourite. So and pharmacy was a lot heavily based with chemistry. So that was quite. Taken to a liking. You're now in Clare. When did you move to Clare? So that was a story in itself. So I did a trainee, so our intern year I did with a Colonel uh, Light Gardens pharmacy. So that was for a year just to um, tick a box and, you know, to satisfy requirements to become registered. So I did that. Then decided, well, this is boring because I've been in business all my life with mum and dad. I just wanted to learn how to run a business. Never sort of that level. But um, decided, well, I'm not going to work for someone all my life. So decided I thought I should try and look for a pharmacy and buy one. Not knowing what, how to do it, but back in that day, um, there's no brokers or such for a pharmacy. So it was all done through your um, drug wholesalers. So back then was what they called foldings. It's one of those unique trades that pharmacists can only own pharmacies. They were the brokers as such, and so I approached them and said, oh, Love to buy a pharmacy, um, but knowing uh, metro pharmacies just were too expensive. But knowing country pharmacies were uh, slightly cheaper and more affordable because um, the big boys didn't want to uh, work them because it was too much of a headache to recruit pharmacists to go to the country. Oh. Common theme, which is currently still a what problem. Happens. Yes. So I started looking for a country pharmacy to purchase. So I went for a big drive down to Narracourt for my first. Look at a pharmacy, never been in Narracourt in my life, or a four-hour drive as <laughs> as such. How old are you at this point? Uh, I would have been 23 by probably mid to, oh, what year was it, 99. I was approached by my current business partner, 
so word got around that Richard was looking for a country pharmacy to work and operate and buy into. And so the opportunity of a lifetime knocked on the door and we had a meeting with um, a guy called Jeff Ramsey, who's still in Adelaide, and he said, uh, mind you, I didn't have a dime to my name. I was going to ask you, where did you get the money to buy yeah, a pharmacy? No. Yeah. So back then it would have been 100% subsidised by the uh, drug company. Went guarantors for you back in those days. But uh, Jeff came up and said, look, I'll you know, sponsor you as such, buy the pharmacy, because he had already three pharmacies in Adelaide. And he said, oh, but I just need someone to run it. I've gone, yep, done deal. So we shook on, on the deal. And then I said, so where's this Clare Valley? Had no idea where Clare was. So I can remember my first drive up to Clare Valley. took about three hours, I think, mm-hmm. by Truro. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong turn Wrong off. Wrong turn off. <laughs> so that was my first real um, experience of country driving and trying to find where Clare was. How many years have you been in Clare? Been here since 2000 now, so... How many pharmacies do you have now? I uh, still have uh, interest in Riverton Pharmacy down the road. So basically one and a half pharmacies. And do you still fly? I still fly. So I luckily enough sit on a uh, director's position for Country and Outback Health. So it's a mental health um, uh, service delivery business. Mm-hmm. So it's a non- non-profit. So that was, well, still is my sort of a side gig. So with the board work, our meetings can vary from Port Lincoln, Wyala, Port Augusta, Port Piri, and occasionally Kadena. So that has given me an opportunity to travel around, but also um, I look after, through the board, I'm also the chair of the Yorktown Medical Centre, so I look after the Yorktown Medical Centre. So that gives me an opportunity to fly down there in 30 minutes as opposed to two and a half hours of driving. So why is mental health so important in your eyes? Unlike, say, diabetes, you can't test it and do a screen until you sit down with someone and ask them. And so funding has never been there for it, especially in the country. It's always um, metro-based programs, and I've found that regionals are very disadvantaged in services. Today it's very different, though, isn't it? It's changed a lot. It's changed quite a bit, but still the underfunding for programs is quite uh, pronounced. You know, it's a struggle to make a dollar stretch for services that are required. So it's still happening now and like trying to find clinicians to run programs is the other difficulty we face in the country with um, recruitment of, um, you know, psychologists and other clinicians. So trying to get that message across to come to the country is very um, hard. What have been the major challenges for you in pharmacy? Major challenges we've had is uh, what they price disclosure so the government uh, rebated funding had dropped considerably so it's all right when you're in uh, metro areas and you've got that uh, population base but when you're in country areas and your uh, income's really been reduced by 50 percent you still got to try and provide the same level of service but with a reduced income and that's been the hardest thing we've had to reevaluate so hence why we've gone down the paths of vaccinations and other add-on services which are just trying to promote more better health. And people have been taking that up? Yeah, so we're, I was quite surprised with the um, advent of uh, pharmacist-led vaccinations. So especially flu vaccinations was quite interesting in the fact that um, the first year it started was quite minimal because it, um, it was still rebated through the doctors. So people would go to the doctors and you know get a jab and all good. 
But however, when the um, the doctors stopped getting rebated for um, vaccinations for the flu, so pharmacy became a lead agent to or a go to place for your vaccinations. So by the second year, we probably tripled our numbers because it was just accessibility and the ease of getting it. Basically, just walk in and. Um, have it done you know you also do screening and see if um, there's other issues I mean there's amazing how many um, you know you have a talk to them and all of a sudden when was the last time you actually went to a doctor and you try and pick up those type of people that you know do have underlying health issues that they just don't aren't aware of there's so many aspects of being a pharmacist as you mentioned there is the pharmacy and dealing with the general public Um, you go into hospitals as well, and do you go into aged care facilities? Yeah, I do aged care, and now I do predominantly a lot of my work's um, uh, home interviews. Right. So going into people's homes and um, not being rushed, we can actually sit down, go through all their medications and find any anomalies that a lot of people won't tell the doctors. So then I sort of bridge the gap and also say, well, why are you on this? And they go, we don't know. So I try and reduce the amount of medications people need to take. Because sometimes you start you get started on a medication, but a lot of times people forget to stop it. Really? Yeah, especially okay. from hospital discharges we find. Yep. It might be just an acute um, illness they've had, but yet they've continued on that medication when the illness has subsided. And that type of process or what you're doing within home, is that something that you've driven or is that generally what pharmacists do? No, so um, that's another specialty I've gone down. Um, so I've done extra training to do this sort of um, accreditation uh, home reviews. And that's just around this area, the Clare Valley, or do you go Oh, no, I've gone to um, – so I've gone to Woodner. Mm-hmm. So I've got a mate over there who requested I do some medication reviews. So I flew over to Woodner. So I've done that a few times now. Um, the benefit of a plane. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Being in rural has opened the doors to many different facets that you never get exposed to. And that's probably why I love – Love it so much. And pharmacy is just another diverse avenue of an opportunity that allowed me to, to uh, reach for my, my goals. I kind of see pharmacists expanding their yep. network and having pharmacies across regional South Australia. Is that where a lot of pharmacists are going? I think there's a, a trend for that, but also I, th- I think it, it does backfire in some regards because we just don't have that workforce. So mm. you spend uh, quite a lot of your time trying to find locums. Um, and especially like being on a few forums, that locuming, even that's diminishing. So trying to find locums to help in the country areas is really struggling. Is there a lot of students doing pharmacies, pharmacy at the moment? Are they study, is, the study rate is high? That is the amazing part. There's more universities open, there's more student intakes. But they're all staying in the city. Yeah, and that's the, um, the profound effects it, it has of... Uh, People wanting that uh, metropolitan lifestyle. Are you paying more in the country? Yeah, we pay more. Pay more. Absolutely. Do you supply housing? Uh, some do. You know, realistically, it's you know normal day to day living. So you know, normal uh, obligations of you know if you want to come to the country. Well, c- renting is cheaper. Lifestyle's cheaper. But it's also the friendship you gain out of it is just quite diverse and quite um, rewarding. But also the skills, though, as you said, you're exposed to a lot more. Yeah, you actually. In the country, you're um, you're part of a team, like you're an in- integral part of a team. So, you know, you're working side by side with you know every allied, allied health or the medicos, and you get to know each other, and that's something you don't get in Adelaide or you know in metropolitan pharmacies. You wouldn't even know what who the GP is next door, mm. 
and you know you're always hesitant oh, I don't want to interrupt them whereas you know here we know who you are and your traits and you know and also we referral pathways you know if someone needs help and this go see an optometrist oh I never thought of that so it's just having that sort of um, broader view I think which you gain in rural pharmacy Um, I was heavily involved with Variety Bash. That was my sort of foot into the door. Was uh, we had a, uh, Ian Bidstrup used to be an old uh, co-owner of the plane. He used to run Martindale. He tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Oh, it's your turn." I've gone for what? Or you're going to be the support plane for the Bash Variety Bash? And I've gone, "What's that?" So from that, um, I've flown, you know, uh, entertainers or. Uh, coffee machines to parts you name it I've flown and parts of South Australia that or even Queensland I've never been to but that you know it's just given me the opportunity to be go places which I wouldn't normally go. So what have been the most far-flung places you've been? I've been to Birdsville a place called Hungerford. Yes. So Hungerford was interesting Um, we had a Explain to everyone where that is. So Hungerford's, a, it's about yeah, just over from Cameron's Corner so ah, in yes. Queensland. Oh, it's on the Queensland-New South Wales border, but more but close proximity to um, Cameron's Corner as, as such. You know, I was flying and uh, just fl- chasing the bash, basically, and then this poor bloke uh, on the dance floor ruptured his Achilles tendon. Gee, that's serious dancing. Yeah. And it was the only way to get him back to Adelaide was he had to drive because it wasn't a critical injury for him to you know get onto an rfds as such so got told richard tomorrow morning's mission is you're going to adelaide so it's like okay so that was my cue to go to bed (laughs) because it's always eight hours from bottle to throttle (laughs) had to be loaded in the back of the plane and um disadvantaged as a child that you know you want to give back somehow Mm -hmm. and i think variety was just one of those things i Love giving to to try and get give you know others the opportunity. So with the variety bash, uh, you've got the plane situation, but are you in the cars as well? Yeah. So yeah. after uh, probably a good oh, ten years of flying at least, I went. This is fun. So I think I had a sort of my um, middle life crisis was I'm going to try my hand at building a car. Really? Yeah. So that was six months of my life, I think where I was at Schultz Mechanical um, in my little corner. Is that the pink combi there? <laughs> yeah. So I bought a, um, a 1976 Ford Transit ice cream truck, as you do. Where did you get that from? Elizabeth. So I bought that secondhand and um, decided, yeah, this would make a good bash car. So I absolutely gutted it and started from scratch, which was quite being not handy at all, to learning a new sort of trade on how – Cars worked. And so how long did it take? Six months. Oh, yeah. Six months. And any problems? Yeah, we had the first bash we did with it. The engine blew up. One of the pistons weren't correctly fitted to when we purchased it from another company. Oh, so it's got nothing to do with you? No, no, no. Beyond our control it was. Uh However, we found another motor. We were in Broken Hill at the time. But we found another motor for $350 at the Wreckers. And What's the likelihood of that I happening? Know. Oh, wow. And straight in it went and it started. So the, on the Variety Bash we have these magicians called um, Mobile Workshops who are a team of um, mechanics who volunteer their time. 
and we had two groups of uh, MWs, we call them, who stayed back and worked around the clock to put this new engine in and got it firing and off we went again. How many people are involved with the Variety Bash? How many cars? And so it varies from year to year. So we have over, you know, it could be over 100 odd cars on the bash. We have up to maybe 400 people all up, including um, organisers and uh, medical wow. teams and all the intricacies of the bash. Have you ever formed any relationships with some of the patients or the, some of the kids that have needed this funding or this money? Is there anyone that you've sort of kept in contact with? Not as such, but you, we do see them um, progress in their livelihoods. So the money we give to you know an athlete with um, who can't afford to just travel for swimming lessons so you, you give those people the opportunity to really flourish then you see them uh, competing in the uh, Paralympics which is just you know rewarding you know the amount of people we help is massive but also sunshine coaches is another big thing so sunshine coaches yeah so variety you know buy these special buses for schools so like um, I think it was Locke got a bus out of it just so they can drive um, students or pick up students from their farms where there's no service. So just a, a school bus as such? Yeah. People always think variety is for disabled people, but it's actually for anyone who's disadvantaged. And any uh, kid growing up in the country is deemed disadvantaged. Mm. So even just um, getting fuel vouchers to go to, um, you know, sporting or Sapsaza in Adelaide, you can apply for a grant just for something like that, just to, so it gives you an edge to be able to compete with other people. One thing we haven't spoken about yet is family. Yes. Yes, I know you're married to Emily and you have two children. Tell me about your family. So, yeah, we've got two Rugrats and Emily, uh, the love of my life. Um, Em's moved to Adelaide with kids with uh, schooling and she's uh, now flourishing with a new business venture in um, mortgage brokering and I'm fleeting between um, Clare, Adelaide and regional SA. (laughs) Let's take a step back. Came to Clare in 2000. Where does M fit in? That's that? another funny story. Um, so I met M in, the, in Clare itself. So she was a uh, bartender, so oh. which I must have, my uh, charismatic charm had lured her in. Um, <laughs> but the funny thing was she, her parents and my parents, and where we both lived, was only a K and a half away from each other in Adelaide. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And yet we probably caught the same buses but had no idea of each other So until we were in Clare. And then, um, yeah, so we met up um, and then we'd go to Adelaide going, oh, I'm going to take you out and this is where – yeah, I know this place. Oh, I, no, yeah, no, that's – so we knew the common places. places where, yeah, so it was like, oh, so we've – we actually know each other but don't know each other. Yeah. And the funny thing was um, – I was single at the time and she was single at the time and we had uh, common friends who said, oh, you should go out with um, Emily. And I said, nah, she's not my type. And similar response from Emily, nah, he's not my type. So, and then, yeah, I think we were um, engaged within six months and then... Of knowing each other? Yep. Wow. And then married within the year, so... And how long have you married now? 16 years now. Wow. And how old are the kids? Kids are 13 and 12. It's been a journey in itself. So how has Em and the kids fit into your career? Especially you've been pretty busy. Yeah, it's still busy. It's I've sort of made sure I've uh, prioritised the family now. Now? What yeah, didn't happen so, No, I was working um, – so I always had 
this dream of working, se- you know, having a seven-day pharmacy. And so I actually ran a seven-day business for 14 years, which was, you know, health professionals to come work. It's just so hard to maintain that uh, level of, you know, opening hours. So we, something had to give and, un- you know, so business had to take a toll on that. Mm. And if it's something that's your passion and you want to make it work and you will move heaven and earth to make it yeah. happen... You do throw yourself into it. And you, you do. Won't. You immerse yourself into it and, you know, you, you keep pushing and striving. You know, unfortunately, you just come to a realisation you don't have the workforce behind you to, you know, maintain it, especially, you know, requiring a pharmacist to work. Mm. And especially ones that, you know, you know, these days they want their weekends and it's, which I completely understand. So, you know, the, you know still there's that workforce shortage of trying to fulfil um, shifts. So how do you get those people out to the regions? What's the tactic or the strategy that you use now to make it really attractive? I think the strategy we're using now is to actually aim at the kids who are currently in the country schools. The data's showing that, you know, there's a higher chance of trying to recruit or regain uh, health professionals if they've had prior you know, living in the country. Mm-hmm. So there's a high chance of getting them back into the rural workforce. Not not high because most kids, uh, you know, once they go to Adelaide or the city and such, they tend to not come back, which is understandable. But, you know, but eventually they do venture back once they realise, you know, country living is unbeatable. And I guess also parents do encourage their children to go and see the yeah, world first or yep. see Australia first, see what else is out there and then come home. Come back. If yeah, and can. that's very important. Uh, you can't appreciate what you've got until you appreciate something less. So that's my sort of belief where you can't be too comfortable until you've gone out there, experienced the worst to realise what you've got. something about the Clare Valley Aerodrome. Are there moves for a uh, plane to be bought and everyone will share it? Yes, so we've actually purchased a uh, Technam for the Aerodrome Club and that the whole idea is to um, get that to for people to hire and fly. So giving people of the valley the, the opportunity to, you know, seek their dreams and be able to learn with a plane that's accessible. So there's an instructor that comes up and we teaches work people on how that, to fly. Yeah. That's amazing. So hopefully we'll get uh, Errol from Port Pirie, Earl, sorry, Errol from Port Pirie to come across and start training. And is this for who? Anybody? Anyone with a passion. And so how much is it going to cost that person? We don't know that just yet. So that's all the fundamentals we're sort of going to work through and hopefully um, even inspire other flying schools from Adelaide to come up. That's my dream anyway, so... I mean, we've got the facilities there. It's just a matter of you build it, they will come. So you've got the plane? Yeah, the plane's there. It's just uh, there. That's, the, that's probably the big bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, big bits, yeah. getting the plane. I mean, that was a big um, decision by the club to go down that path, but I think it's going to be a rewarding one, knowing that, um, you know, a bit like myself, who when you start flying, you don't have the capital behind you, so you'd always hire a plane that was there. I mean, I remember when I was first came to Clare, I used to drive to Jamestown to hire... Um, their little 172 because it was there. So how much does a plane cost these days? Good question. Um, depending on what aircraft it is. So if I had to go sit a hire one in Adelaide, same sort of uh, aircraft to mine would be about 450 bucks an hour. 
So how much would it to be to buy a plane? To buy it, uh, depending on the year. So planes are quite interesting. They actually appreciate every year. Ah, opposed to the depreciate. Yeah, so I've got a 1978 model. That'd be worth probably 145000 We upgraded our um, older plane, which was the uh, same model but just two years older even. It was a 1976. And we got $120,000 for that. So it's just still incredible. And how long does it take now to get your pilot's licence? Uh, depending on your, R, if you want RAOs, which is a um, like an ultralight licence, that's quite easier to do based on your driver's licence type model where if you do private pilot's licence, you need a, like a class two medical, which is every four years you need to see the medical, which mm-hmm. precludes a lot of people with any underlying issues. Whereas uh, ultralights, you can actually get your licence even if you have diabetes or other what happens if you're colour blind? Well, you get around that. You can? Yeah. I've always been told that you can't fly a plane if well, you're colour blind. Especially into controlled areas. No, you wouldn't be able to because mm. um, it's only just for there's no communications. They rely on colours from the mm. tower to show, you know, if you can land or keep circling. So that's the issue in that regard. Mm. But I mean, with technology, the way it's going, I dare say it'll be phased out. You know, if you have communications failure in a plane, you just hop on your mobile and ring the tower. <laughs> you know, you can't sort of prejudice someone because of their um, colour blindness. Yes. I can't stand the smell of Avgas. Avgas. I love Avgas. I hate Avgas. Love it. Oh. Love it. <laughs> um, Makes me want to puke. <laughs> oh, I think the funniest thing about the colour blindness test, so every – I've got to do my medical every two years – they do the, me- the colour blind test. It's a genetic condition. You can't just develop it. Yes. yes. <laughs> but yeah, they test it every time and go, guys, really? Yeah, it's not going to change, is no. it? No. But it's <laughs> just one of those CASA um, anomalies they just got to do. So what's the next step for you? Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Uh, 10 years' time, I'll still be in Clare. <laughs> I, um, well, that's good to know. I'm a country boy now, so <laughs> I do not assimilate in the city too well. <laughs> Thank you very much for spending the time with me today and um, I look forward to hearing more stories about the Variety Bash, see where the pharmacy industry goes in regional South Australia. Um, your pharmacy seems to be busy all the time, to be honest. It seems a lot of people are behind that counter. Oh, yeah, we've um, hit the ground running. <laughs> it's good, it's good. Well, it's a pleasure and thank you very much. Thank you. I'm, I'm imagining you as either Maverick or Goose. Which one would you be? Oh, in between both, I think. It's a lot safer that way. <laughs> Very bold. What's your call sign? Uh, uh, Papa November Golf. Ah, my dad used to have a plane. It was a Beechcraft, a Bonanza. Yep. And it was Miski My Kilo. I've always remembered the call sign. Yep. Isn't it's it funny? It, sta- it, it stays, stays with, with you. you. Yes. Yep. Richard Elkoury. I think regional South Australia is pretty lucky to have him. I love that he's continued to factor in his love for flying with his pharmacy work and being able to bring that expertise and experience to people right across regional South Australia. If you've liked this episode, please rate and review and share with your friends. Thank you to those who have already reviewed the podcast. I appreciate it. I love seeing those reviews every week. 
My name is Annabelle Homer and I am your host of the Voice It podcast. I also run a little business called Voice It. I'm essentially a voice coach, a, a podcaster. I'm formerly an ABC rural journalist. I presented the Country Hour on ABC local radio for many years. But I'm passionate about giving people the confidence to communicate well in public. So if you want to up your public speaking game, be it on stage at any event, at a conference, or you're the father of the bride, at a future wedding, or simply being interviewed on a podcast, get in touch. All my details are in my show notes. Catch you soon for another episode of Voice It.